0: Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, Presented some challenges for all of us. You know the good news? Our patrons' numbers are still growing. Almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day, to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tack box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead they literally keep the mp3s rolling meanwhile the patrons only after dark facebook live and zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success conversation support laughter some education some mentorship lots of encouragement and even randomly the occasional adult beverage So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And we're kind of continuing this conversation that we've been having about herding dogs and some of the various and sundry performance events that we haven't really touched on here at Pure Dog Talk. And so I have a really fun guest for us today. This is Ash Nader and she's working with West German. Am I getting this right, Ash? West German bred German Shepherd Dogs. And Ash is going to talk about some of the processes, the different registries, and some of the fun performance events that are available that any breed can participate in. So I'm kind of excited. So, Ash, welcome. Thank you. If you could just give us a little bit of a 411. Sure. The, how you came to be involved in this? <laughs>
1: well, I was born and raised in India, and we always had German shepherds in India. And after we moved to the U.S. due to insurance liability, we couldn't have certain dangerous breeds. So we grew up with golden retrievers. And then as soon as I was able to move out on my own, I got my German shepherd. And so that's just kind of how I started. I studied in Germany in uh, undergrad, so I became more familiar with German-German Shepherd and the process, and I really liked the dogs. That's how I got more involved.
0: Okay, so you're talking, and I think this is important for people to just give them that clear understanding, that the German-German Shepherd and you liked those dogs. Tell us what drew you to that particular style of the German Shepherd dog?
1: Sure. I liked them because whether it was a working line or a show line, whether the lines deviate even more, they all had to adhere to a certain standard and fulfill certain requirements. I really enjoyed how regulated and the dogs are vetted in a certain way for breed suitability. And I really enjoyed the temperaments of the dogs. And I felt like confirmationally, temperament, character-wise, the drives for work. And as a utilitarian dog, I enjoyed what I saw in the German line
0: dogs. Right. And so I think it's very, very interesting. And you and I were talking a little bit off air. Obviously, my listeners all know I have German wire-haired pointers. And we have a similar type of situation where the German registry, the VDD, Mm -hmm. has a particular way of testing and approving dogs for a breeding program Mm -hmm. versus dogs that are registered with the American Kennel Club. So I thought maybe you could give us kind of a 30,000 foot view, right, (laughs) of some of the differences that you see and what it was that you liked about that particular way of doing things.
1: Yeah, one thing that's very different about one breed focus club like the fv or with the pointers in germany versus the akc is to be akc registered does not really say very much all it means is you have enough ancestry to show that the dog is of pure lineage right so more or less as long as the progeny parents had akc registration the progeny can go ahead and register as well. Right. The AKC is not a breed club. It doesn't focus on whether breeding pairs adhere to a standard and anything like that. Whereas in a single breed club like the SV for German Shepherds in Germany, which is the largest single breed club in the world, and they have like the biggest show, they have always been very criteria oriented. And right. so whether you are a confirmation dog or a working dog the differences would be a confirmation dog it would still have to achieve the certain minimum standards of performance exactly but if you enter the majority of confirmation dogs in like the bsp which is a working competition that dog isn't going to go very far because that dog was not bred to perform at a level of a dog that was fine-tuned for a performance goal. Right. Selective breeding to achieve a specific purpose. Exactly. The breed used to be more of a one, but then 60s, 70s, when you saw more of the split happening. Mm -hmm. But any line in Germany, if you want to be incorporated into the SV as a German Shepherd, you have to adhere to certain standards. So A show dog still has to get the performance titles, the minimum performance titles, and working dog still has to go and show in confirmation in order to get their breed survey. So in this sense, at a minimum, both have to adhere to a certain criteria. Right.
0: And I think that that is... Something that we see so much of in the U.S., we see it mostly in the sporting dogs, although certainly we see it some in some of the herding breeds and working breeds as well. But it's really clearly delineated in a lot of the sporting breeds, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that division between a dog that does a particular and is bred specifically for a particular function and one that is bred solely for adhering to a particular confirmation standard and so the ability to find dogs that do both of those things is very appealing to some people.
1: Exactly. But that's not to say, like, West German Showline dogs, don't hold me to it, but I don't see a West German Showline dog winning a working competition like the BSP. Interesting. And a German working line is never going to make VA, which is the highest rating. In confirmation. Right, for the Bundesliga-Sugschau. Interesting. And that's just a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. They are clearly differentiated enough to where you're just not going to be able, it's just not doable because the genetics and the capacity for each line to adhere to the requirements to achieve top levels are quite different.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: we can still see that they're both required. Maybe, for example, you're not going to see the same scores, you're not going to see a dog place as high or mm-hmm. in one as in the other, but they all kind of have to participate in the same criteria and fulfill that. And right. that is appealing to a lot of people.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so some of the things that you were talking about earlier that I thought were really, really interesting in terms of... You cannot, the SV, the German registration system for German Shepherds, won't register a dog if it hasn't completed both performance and confirmation, which I thought was really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. We also talked earlier in the podcast series, we talked to Melinda Weber about. IGP, which used to be IPO, which used to be formerly known as Schutzen. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. was developed as the performance test, right? Am I understanding that correctly for the German Shepherd dog? Right. It was a breed suitability test. And so now that has, in much like the artist formerly known as Prince, that <laughs> was a symbol and whatever, now has gone through a pretty significant sort of coming into the 21st century. Would you think of it that way? Yes.
1: Because Here's a big issue. Young people are not entering these venues like they once did. Mm-hmm. At one time, the German Seeger show, every seat in the stands would be full. Like, if you go and look at the old pictures, the amount of entries, the amount of interest, how big of a deal it was, to where now it's almost like laughably minuscule compared to the old days. Mm-hmm. The young people don't want to enter as much, and they are the people who you need. Otherwise,
0: this is going to die in a few few generations. It's the same for all of us. I mean, that's the same in AKC confirmation shows. I mean, we're all begging for young people, please. Exactly. And like to entice and make it
1: more favorable, certain things were changed and maybe some standards were laxed because we can all be diehards and very strict about requirements but at the end of the day, if it's just a bunch of aging people adhering to an old standard and, you know, there's more people in the ring than watching, Right. what are we doing? So that's why I believe they started making certain things, okay, you can say easier, but it, making it more widely available so that more participation would occur.
0: So what used to be thought of, and I got caught, Melinda caught me actually saying Schutzen, what used to be considered Schutzen, that is now called IGP, is essentially, you said to me, basically like an obedience and a control competition more than anything else.
1: Right. At one time, I think it was judged more in spirit of the rules. Mm -hmm. Now... I think to make it more simplified process, because, you know, you've got people from different countries who are sanctioned as judges for these events, you just have so many different things going on, you have to make it a lot more points-oriented, one, so you can judge it easier, Right. and two, so that it's not as difficult for newcomers or younger folks or people in other countries to participate.
0: So you make it a little more accessible, which you know seems like a thing that we all could consider doing with our events. Right. Out there in Dog Show Land. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But my understanding is it's available, you can participate in this IGP sport with any purebred dog. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Any dog. I've
1: seen like little small terriers do it. Great Danes, the breeds you see a lot of the times, of course, German Shepherds, the Malinois, the Dutch Shepherds, some of the giant Schnauzers, sometimes some of the massive breeds, Rottweilers. But I've also seen a lab achieve it. Mm-hmm. You see like there's awesome uh, IGP-3 titled the uh, Great Danes. Mm.
0: <laughs> he's very fun to watch I have a friend that's working on it with her German short pointer that's awesome yeah and somebody showed me pictures of a person doing it with their chihuahua I'm saying exactly and it's adorable I have a chihuahua <laughs> I can see her trying to bite somebody on
1: purpose <laughs> my chihuahua bites more than all the shepherds. yeah right. <laughs> that's too funny but yeah it's more because like if I did it Judging in the spirit of and use the old criteria, fight drive and, you know, the power and mm-hmm. aggression and stuff, it's not going to be as accessible to everybody and it's going to be very difficult for certain other breeds to participate. So to make this performance event feasible for a wide range of people and for a wide range of breeds, they had to make certain adjustments so they could... Start making it more accessible, like you said, to a wider population.
0: Right. And so I think it's, to me, very interesting. And I think sort of a cautionary tale to some of our other sports that are more, if you will, hidebound and less inclined to mm, adjust with the times. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. DNA testing is rapidly growing amongst breeders. And given the importance of these test results to the health of not only each dog, but also that of future generations of dogs. At Embark, they believe it's critical to provide transparency in their testing methods that result in more than 99.99% accuracy for health tests. Embark's innovative testing platform enables the hundreds of genetic health and traits test results provided in Embark's products while also creating research-ready data for use by canine health organizations and scientists. Embark's methods exceed industry quality control standards by also checking the breed, sex, and relatives of every sample to ensure DNA samples are correctly labeled and unique identity is recorded. In addition to quality control, this helps fraud prevention by ensuring the same dog can't be tested multiple times without Embark knowing. At Embark, they're proud of their world-class canine DNA testing service, and they're committed to continually raising the bar. They're on a mission to provide breeders and all dog owners with the high level of accuracy they need to optimize their breeding programs, manage the lifetime care of their dogs, and improve the health of future generations of dogs. Haven't used Embark yet? Get your first Embark for Breeders dog DNA test for $99 right now. You use the code TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. That's TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. So talk us through... You know, I want to take my wire hair pointer and do IGP. Mm-hmm. Tell me the exercises. Tell me what he has to learn how to do. It used to be that you
1: needed a the BH, which is basically just like a temperament test. And okay. what the BH basically does is you do a short obedience routine. You'll heal. You'll do a sit in motion. You'll do a long down, recall, heal through a group. And you'll do on leash and off leash. And then the dog will have to be exposed to things like a bike rider coming by, the dog tied away from the handler and see how they react. Just to make sure the temperament sound. So it's almost a combination of a basic obedience and a CGC. Right. Sounds like. Exactly. That would be a perfect way of doing it because you're kind of seeing, is this dog sound enough of mind to go on to more advanced portions? Right. Because once you enter the actual IDP portion of it, you've got to do the three phases are tracking uh, obedience and protection. Mm So especially phases that require controlled bite work and protection events, you want to make sure that you're passing dogs into that level that are able to have the soundness in mind to perform that safely. Right. And you talked about
0: control. And so it's not that you're necessarily teaching your dog to bite, but when, when not to is my understanding. Exactly. Because
1: Anybody with a high drive dog knows that a good majority of the time, you're really trying to cut through the intensity and the compulsion because bite work's fun for dogs. You know, you right. get to bite, you get to <laughs> exercise your prey drive, and right. it's like basically an awesome tug of war. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's a lot of fun. What's not as fun is to be in drive and to be in this mode and then immediately get called back and show control and a sound mind. Because a dog that's so focused and who can't keep clarity is gonna have trouble doing that. And yeah. that's when you sometimes will see you know, dogs terminated. So even if a dog has awesome drives and aggression and they bite great and powerful, you still have to keep in mind that a good portion of it is showing how a dog can very, Quickly and clearly switch between drive levels and drive states. And Mm -hmm. so, control and maintaining clarity is a huge deal. And this is where dogs will really have to train and be able to gain mastery over their inherent drive and Mm -hmm. need to do the fun stuff. Mm
0: -hmm. And this is a term that I hear used very frequently in this community, nervy. Mm-hmm. So I can never quite figure out if nervy is good or bad.
1: <laughs> Here's the thing, like, I think everybody kind of has a different interpretation of what that means. Mm. It's kind of like, what's a good looking dog? Mm-hmm. Something that's really awesome and appealing to you might not be so appealing to somebody else. Okay. So I think this is where a lot of confusion and yeah. disagreements come from because we have to realize that everybody is viewing this definition through their own prism. And so you've got to factor that in. Some people might allow or even desire or like a certain level of intense drive or a dog that has a low threshold. The way I would think is a dog who's nervy, I think, is a dog who tends to be triggered a little easier. They can sometimes have trouble maintaining clarity and soundness. Because this is a big thing. It's great if your dog has aggression and power and the crushing grips and a great long bite. That's all awesome to see. But can you maintain control of that? Uh Because it's the same as a fire raging out of control. Like Uh That doesn't do anybody any good versus a controlled burn. Uh So for me, Nervy means a dog that has trouble keeping a clear mind and okay. having control of their drives, especially since as a whole these days, prey drive tends to be more focused on than other drives. Right. So like, say for example, I've had a couple dogs, they have incredible prey drives. They'll just go after anything and it's very easy to motivate these dogs and they just have so much energy and drive and focus on an object. But if you try to out that dog, you can't because he's stuck in a certain drive state and he's not able to get out of that or have a mastery over that to where there's enough clarity of mind to switch between an on off switch. Right. And also like nervy dogs. You could call like a fear aggression biter or a dog that is very highly suspicious and has a low threshold, so it sees mm-hmm. a paper bag rolling by and freaks out. Right. So Nervy, to me, just means a dog that has trouble maintaining proper control and has trouble managing its drive states and impulses.
0: Okay. This is really interesting as I'm listening to you have this conversation. I am comparing it to the work that I do with breeds whose instinct is to exactly hunt. yeah, so literally pray, drive, and the things that we ask them to do, you have to stand there and point, and you can't move until I tell you to leave, like you can't move a right, foot. and then you have to go get that bird, and you have to bring it right back to me and not eat it exactly,
1: yeah, <laughs> and keep it somewhat intact. This yeah. isn't your lunch, it's my
0: lunch. <laughs> So I think that's so interesting, and the comparison across drives, across breeds, across various and sundry things that we have developed our dogs to do, we're basically using the same general states inside the dog's brain. Exactly,
1: yeah. And maintaining control and having a balance between the drive state and the abilities is so incredibly important. And that's the fine line all of us dance. You want a dog with a ton of drive and flashy obedience and a high enough drive state to be able to do those things. But you don't want a dog so drivey and object or prey oriented and such a nutcase who's like leaking drive, which is like they'll vocalize a lot. They have trouble capping drive. They have trouble seeing clearly because there's so much drive, it blinds them to anything else going on. And right. those kind of dogs in a working situation, in a performance situation, are a liability. At the same time, you don't want a dog that's such a sloth that you have to beg and plead him
0: to just mouth the sleeve, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm literally, I'm doing the same comparison. So our over-the-top dogs are what we call renegades. Right. That they get off and they're gone. And you put a tracking collar on them because they're three miles away running a deer. (laughs) Right. I mean, this isn't a joke. This is real. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Three miles is a light day, you know? Right. And then you've got the dogs that you can't kick out from underneath the horse because they're so scared of the so that balance and I think it's so important and it applies across the board in every way Right. like extremes on either end are never going to be our goal exactly and that's what I think a lot of
1: times I think we all go into it looking for the perfect balanced dog and that's our intention but as we specialize in a particular venue we start losing sight of the big picture. And that's Mm -hmm. when I think we run into trouble because anytime you're doggedly going after one trait or one thing, you're going to give other things that are very important up too. If all you care about is one particular thing, you're going to have a lot more troubles to fix because extremes in any direction is not suitable.
0: And you see this a lot. And I think that's profound because it applies for a performance, a working animal. Exactly. A confirmation animal. Like if a little bit of pretty sweeping flowy neck is good, then holy moly. Yeah. So anyway, I love that. And I want everybody out there, we're going to put some links and some photos. I want everybody out there to think about What could their dog do in IPO? Is that something that you want to think about? The obedience, the tracking, the protection, all those pieces. Maybe this is something for people to check into. We've got downtime when there aren't as many of the events that we frequently attend. So maybe this is one we can look at. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Thank you, Ash. Thank you so much. No problem at all. I really, really appreciate your time and your information. Thank you so much for having me. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here.